0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome into to the oddson Audible's podcast. Matt premier i Eric Scope, Jared Mack on the show today. Uh, we're diving into some recruiting because there's been a lot of news that's transpired outside of the program that's impacting what's going on inside the program. Um, first and foremost, we should discuss the commitment and transfer of the one and only Travis Dye from Oregon to USC. Um, we'll break down the impacts that has Oregon's been prepared for that. They quick, they acted quickly after it, but nonetheless, we should briefly talk about this. Um, feels weird, yeah. You know what what it what it means. Um, he tra- he transfers to one of Oregon's biggest rivals, uh, a guy that was a key piece for the Oregon program last four years, um, and now. It, he goes to the Trojans, where he's going to be playing back home. Um, he referenced that in his message uh, to to the fans. Um, him and his fiancee will be moving back to Southern California. He'll have an opportunity to play in front of friends and family. Uh, Trojans do not play Oregon on the schedule. I wonder if that factored into this at all. But nonetheless, it's going to be weird in the fall seeing number twenty six rolling with the Trojans.
2: Yeah, it's it's not the uh, it's not the outcome anyone associated with Oregon, I'm sure have wanted, um, you know, from a fan base perspective, it puts, puts you in a tough spot to whether or not you want to support them. I know we've been kind of joking off, off of here about kind of the reception we've seen from Oregon fans. And it's been a lot of kind of uncertainty about what to make of it. You know, Travis has been such a great part of this program and such a key part of it for so long. And, and because of his brother, you know, this is the, the Dye brothers are, I, and I, I hope ultimately when there's some time away from this, that this is the takeaway, but, I, I hope it doesn't get lost on their significance in terms of kind of the, the rise of Oregon following the Mark Kelfridge era, because these players were critical in getting Oregon to the place they are right now. And uh, it would be a, kind of a disservice to just brush it off and, and try to dismiss some of what Travis has accomplished here um, because of what he's ultimately decided to do and transfer to USC. Of course, no one on this podcast is going to say this is awesome for Oregon because it kind of stinks uh, and it stings. Travis Dye is going to play his final year of college football. Um, the fact that it's not at Oregon hurts, and the fact that it's at another Pac-12 school hurts even more. As Matt said, there's probably a decent chance these teams don't even play this year, so maybe that makes it feel a little better. But I'll tell you what, if, if these teams both win their divisions and they meet in Las Vegas in November, and Travis Dye is a big part of that at USC – that is certainly going to be quite a storyline entering that game, and for the Oregon fan base, that's probably going to make this news kind of even tougher to to swallow, especially if you were to go out and, and maybe be key in beating Oregon for a conference championship.
3: This was uh, this was a fun one. This is something that um, I'm not sure all of us expected, especially going transferring in conference to USC. Um, I figured that Die would take his talents to the NFL. Um, I didn't think he had anything left to prove in college. Um, and, you know, clearly he he feels differently. And maybe he doesn't – maybe he isn't really anticipating going to the NFL. Um, maybe he thinks you know, this will be the last year and that's it. Um, and why not do it in front of my home my home in uh, in Southern California? Um, I think for, for Dye, it's a good move. Um, you go to a well-established offense at, with Lincoln Riley, you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to be the featured back. You're going to get 20 to 30 potential touches per game. Um, and again, you get to play for USC. For And for him, that that means a lot. And always have to respect his decision. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that he's not going to be spending his final year of college eligibility with the Ducks um, like his older brother did. Um, you know, I just have a lot of problems with the reaction to this. Yeah. And mostly from the duck side of the, of the fan bases. Um, all the USC people are ecstatic and they should be because Travis Dye is a damn good player. Um, seen a lot of message board posts about how this isn't that big of a loss and Dye was an average athlete without breakaway speed, who can't catch the ball, who fumbles too much. It's like, those are great, great observations there, but he's still, you know, Five, number five overall, number six overall in, in Oregon's all time leading rushing lists. Uh, he still had over 1,200 yards last year. He's still an absolute stud. He's still one of the better players in the conference. And it's a significant loss for Oregon. You don't just make that up out of nowhere. And he's a, he's a damn good player. I think that's what, what was uh, frustrating the most is like how quickly people were to dismiss his caliber of of ability to play football because he transferred to another school. It's like, he's still going to be that good of a player. Um, There were a lot of Pac-12 schools that would have rather seen anybody else but Travis Dye line up behind whoever Oregon's quarterback was in the last few years. Um, Just go ask all the Washington fans. It's as simple as that. Like Travis Dye almost single-handedly won Oregon that game against Washington in November. It's tough. I mean, it's a, it's a college student's decision, um, 18 to 23 years old. Uh, we've all made dumb decisions in 18 to 23. And I don't think this was a dumb decision for Travis Dye. I thought it was smart. He outlined exactly what he was doing in his message, you know, on Instagram and social media as to why he was transferring. Um, I think it's hard to, I think it's unfortunate that he has to be judged this hard um, for making a personal decision because he made what was in the best interest of him and for an average college student who doesn't get the opportunity to transfer this easily. Um, I think a lot of people would have made potential moves or, or transfers as, as an everyday student if schools were calling them, asking to come to their school and taking care of all the paperwork and things like that. Um, it's an interesting one. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, definitely one that's going to change the conference for sure. Um, I just look at this as more of a more than football thing.
1: Yeah. yeah, it leaves Oregon with two scholarship players on at running back for the 2022 season. Um, it could be three if CJ Verdell decides to pull his name out of the NFL draft. He's automatically entered into the draft um, because of his eligibility. And would need to pull out by I believe February fourth. And yep. you you could also argue they have four um, with seven McGee, but that would then pull um, Oregon's receiving core from having seven verbal commit seven players on roster at receiver to six. So uh, it's kind of a pick your poison. Do you want do you want three running backs with McGee in there, or do you want seven receivers uh, on roster with Oregon there? Um, and so Oregon's in a position where we already said they, they needed to to go and add somebody with or without Travis Dye coming back. Now, I think, guys, it's probably safe to say this team has to find two running backs yeah. to really be safe. Is that fair?
2: I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I outlined a little bit of that in a state of the running back room story, I think, shortly after Travis's news broke um, late last week. And that was where I stand, I think. And we'll get into some of the names, I think, on this podcast. But I think if you enter, and again, with Seven McGee basically acting as like, a, I don't know, maybe it's two and a half running backs, six and a half wide receivers, if you want to just call them kind of a split between the two. Um, I mean, you really are, are short on bodies here at both those position groups. So I think it's imperative you add probably a prep running back and probably a transfer portal running back in the next couple of weeks here. I think you want to get those guys here for, for spring without question. Um, so... I mean, I, I I think there should be urgency to find a couple of players here, and we know of some. I know we'll talk about that this on this podcast, Matt, but um, yeah, two. I think you need
3: two. 100% need two. We um, We've talked about it before. This is just a, similar to the cornerback situation. I don't feel like having um, a lot is enough. Um, it's a position of, of common injury. Um, just kind of look at how Oregon's running back room has been the last few years with C.J. Verdell just, just going down for um, you know injury reasons and not being able to play for multiple weeks. I think the most, I think as much talent as you can have is, is the best route possible. Um, I look at Oregon's running back room last year, and, and I think that's like the blueprint that you should have. Um, obviously, it really helps to have people like C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye as your one and two, but being able to turn to somebody like Byron Cardwell as a freshman or a redshirt freshman, whoever it is, um, who's talented enough to, to handle that second running back workload is huge. Um, But I think you need an instant impact guy and then a grad transfer transfer portal candidate and then uh, somebody you can take from the prep levels who can uh, develop and and mature and, and, you know, hit that stride in their redshirt freshman or sophomore year Um, because Oregon's running back room is a lot of, lot of questions right now and a lot still to be answered. And um, I think we'll, uh, we'll get, obviously we'll get Verdell's decision by the 4th of February um i'd expect some other answers to come pretty soon um mm-hmm. i just think they needed, like eric said they got to get them in before spring ball um and if they if oregon could get them in uh, they can't really get them in now because school's already started but so as basically asap is the is the best route possible for them just
2: one one thing also is we're talking about relying on running backs one of them is sean dollars who basically hasn't been able to stay healthy yeah. for Three years. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that too. It's not like you've got Byron Cardwell and then another running back who's got a you know a history of being healthy and making it through a season. I mean, I think Sean Dollars has huge upside. We just haven't seen it in part because he can't stay healthy. So that's a fair part point. Going to.
1: It's, mm-hmm. it's a very fair point. And uh, Oregon running back coach Carlos Lachlan, um, offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham, head coach Dan Landing acted quickly upon Travis Dye's decision to transfer to USC Friday afternoon. Because by Saturday afternoon, Colorado running back, the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, Jarek Broussard, who had entered the portal, I don't know, a week or so, less than a week prior to this, um, he was in Eugene for an official visit with his family. Um, He was at TCU Friday night. And Saturday afternoon, he got to Eugene. I think that kind of speaks volumes maybe in – Jarek Broussard's interest in the Ducks. And you pop on Broussard's highlight tape um, while he was at Colorado. And I I think, guys, you see someone who is very similar to Travis Dye from a running style, uh, a stature. He's 5'9", he's 185 pounds. That's right around what Travis Dye is. He ran for almost 900 yards in just six games for Colorado in 2020, which was shortened because of the COVID season. He had five touchdowns that year. This year, uh, 661 yards and two touchdowns. Um, His average dipped one yard um, from 2020 to 2021, 5.7 to 4.7. And I kind of wonder if some of that was because of just Colorado's offense was bad and they had no passing attack whatsoever. And you basically knew stop the run, force them into second and long, third and long situations. You're going to get off the football field. Um, the, the, the buff program as a whole has been pretty decimated by transfers and whatnot. And I think that probably factored a little bit into Broussard's production this past year, but he's a graduate transfer. We'll have two years of eligibility left if you want them. Um, I, I think this, is a good move by Oregon, getting him on campus. It looks like they were prepared. If, if Travis Dye was going to stay, this probably didn't happen. If he left, which he did, Broussard quickly got to Eugene.
2: Yeah, seems like a perfect fit, right, to just kind of plug him in. I think is a better player. I think if it was a straight-up trade, I would prefer to have Travis Die than Jarek Broussard, even though Broussard was the, as you said, 2020 offensive player of the year. I thought what Broussard did in 21 was a little disappointing. As Matt said, there are some Some reasons for that. I mean, the Buffaloes were such a fun kind of upstart unexpected team in 20. And then in 21, I think everybody kind of realized, hey, they might be pretty good. And uh, and, and, and defenses maybe played them a little differently. I think also um, that offensive line wasn't very good at Colorado. I think a thing that was sort of funny in going back and watching his 2020 highlights, I feel like he kind of won his Offensive Player of the Year Award on like five different runs. He had like five runs of 50 yards or more. And then it was kind of just like boom or bust with him a little bit. And I'm not trying to be overly critical, but you, know, you kind of go watch it. It's like he had all these long runs against against Arizona. He had a couple long runs against, I think, Washington State. Maybe um, it was the other team I saw. Or no, UCLA was the team I saw. And it's like big plays that account for a bunch of yards, and there's not a whole lot in between. So he's definitely a home run hitter. Um, I think Oregon just straight up needs experience. They straight up need bodies. And I think a player like him could actually be a really nice um, kind of counter to what you have with byron cardwell who does have a little bit bigger frame and actually cardwell is probably a little bit more explosive in terms of getting up field himself but um i i think this is a good move i think this works out well and if you're oregon um you know i think the portal is obviously something that has hurt you this cycle but you can also use it as a weapon and if you go out here and add a player of russard's caliber that's a win it might not be it's not again i don't think you're winning a heads-up trade because i think die is better Getting two years of Broussard maybe changes your mind if Jarrett can come in and be a big contributor, but um, certainly feels like a necessary move. And when Broussard kind of entered the portal, we kind of all were like, that's sort of interesting because considering Oregon's running back room, but we weren't sure if Oregon would get involved now that it's clear that there will be some more need here because I do think we think Ferdell's going, by the way, for those listening and maybe are uncertain on that part. I think that's kind of reading the tea leaves. Oregon needs to find better running backs, and Broussard, again, makes, I think, a lot of sense.
3: He makes the most sense so far. I mean, there hasn't been any other obvious running back who's hit the portal, who is still a free agent or still available that Oregon can go after. Um, he's also another injury-prone guy, which is interesting. Um, <clears throat> he missed the 2018-2019 seasons due to knee injuries, Bowed back, one pack 12, offensive player of the year in 2020, like we mentioned um but his uh yeah his his play style is very similar to travis die um can catch the ball out of the backfield runs really well off tackle can run in, inside the tackle as well um i, I think it's a, a pretty good approach to uh stylistic differences between him and cardwell um cardwell bigger back you know could bruise some people um while while Hard uh, might not be able to do that as as well as cardwell does um yeah i this would be a good pickup for Oregon. I, I agree with you, Eric, where they just need straight-up experience. They just need people who have played in football games, who have done the job, who have know what it's like to play a full season. Um, it's a tough thing to do. But I actually have uh, some maintenance person coming in, so give me one second.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll transition while, while Jared does that. Um, you look at... This pick, Eric, um, let's just say Jarek does come here, um, Jarek Broussard. And they then go out, and they had a couple guys um, on campus the next two weeks. Uh, This past weekend, they had Jordan James, a four-star running back uh, out of the state of Tennessee, who's currently committed to Georgia. Um, He is a – the 12th best running back in the country, 153rd best player overall, according to 24-7 Sports. Um, He was here this weekend. And I I think if you add Jarek Broussard and you add, let's say, a Jordan James here for a second, the running back room looks a little bit different. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I feel like they're way above grade for where they were last year. Uh, um, I'm also not going to sit here and say that they're really in a place of hurt. But if you if you look at it with a, a Broussard, a Cardwell, a Dollars, and a Jordan James, um, if, if that happens, I, I think you can go into 2022 feeling good about your short-term prospects, as well as you feel good about your long-term prospects because you have a freshman running back in, in Jordan James. And you also don't have this log jam where you can't, go out and and recruit a a, a big-time athlete in 2023.
2: No, I think I agree. I think the thing that gets exciting – well, there's, I guess, two parts or – two ways to look at it. It gets exciting because there are suddenly, if these additions are made, a lot of new blood in the program, a lot of new running backs, and the position kind of takes new ownership, which – and this is one of the criticisms of having Diane Verdell here recently was I think fans just kind of wanted to move on from those two because they'd been here for so long, which is pretty comical because I thought one of the big positives was their stability that they provided the program. So um, it was kind of interesting to see it flipped the other way where suddenly stability is a negative thing. Um, that's not what Oregon has now in terms of continuity. I mean, this group we're talking about hypothetically, um, just this has not been what the running back room has looked like at Oregon. And so that part could be exciting. Um, you could, prov- you know, and, and especially with the new offense, the new offensive coordinator, new running back coach, you know, just a new approach offensively. There's reason to be really excited by having new blood, by having new people kind of leading that group, um, by giving an opportunity to see Byron Cardwell maybe be the feature back in an offense. We saw what he looked like as kind of the, the number two for the last seven or so games of the 21 season, and it was really encouraging. What does it look like if he's going to get the ball 15 to 20 times consistently on a, on a game-to-game basis for a full season? How productive can he be? Um, what does that say about the future of the program and the position group there? I mean, can he be somebody who we talk about in several years as another one of the great running backs to come through here? Is he setting himself up for that? Um, or is another one of these players we haven't talked about or hasn't really played much here going to kind of insert themselves in that conversation? So, no, I think, you can be, I think you can kind of look at it both ways, right? I mean, obviously this is a completely new look running back room regardless of how this plays out. Oregon does need to make additions if they add Broussard and James. I think that's a great place to start. Um, I also look at it and say kind of be careful what you wish for a little bit here. I think Oregon fans are just kind of wanted the verdell die combo yeah. to be on and now yes. they are on and I would be surprised frankly if the running back production in 2022 is you know seismically shifting and so much better than it's ever been. I would imagine it's probably going to be comparable, but probably not a lot better if it's better at all. So um, I like these additions. I like the opportunity to kind of add some new blood. But again, I think the the, the, the big proponent of having those two players here for so long was you just kind of knew what you had and you knew you had at very, very worst kind of top tier in the conference caliber running backs. I don't know if you know that right now, but I think the upside is there that, that this room could be one of the better groups out west. Um, but still a lot to kind of prove, at least, going into twenty.
1: We should we should note about Jordan James. Um, while he was on his visit to Oregon this past weekend, uh, he he has been committed to Georgia for quite some time, and he did not sign with the Bulldogs in the early signing period. He's got an official visit set up to, to Florida um, this coming weekend, which is the final recruiting weekend. While he was out here in in, in Eugene for his visit, The Bulldogs offered Aaron Paul, a three-star running back out of the state of Texas, who Oregon actually is going after as well. Clemson is thought to be the favorite for Paul, Um, but I, I think that's a notable tea leaf. You have to acknowledge that it would appear, and it seems like, Georgia's probably preparing not to have Jordan James part of their recruiting class in 2022 that could mean good news for Oregon. Maybe they feel like Florida is going to swoop in and, and play the location card and, and, and take him away from Oregon. But George is actively preparing for, for Jordan James not to be part of their class. And I think that could be a positive development for Oregon. Um, obviously I think you guys are big fans of Paul as well um, in his tape. And he's certainly exciting, you know, a, a big time player instead of Texas that put up big numbers. He's supposed to be in Eugene for an official visit this coming weekend. We'll see if that happens or maybe Georgia swoops in and gets him to switch. But I, I think Oregon's, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're going to be elite, but the way things are shaping up at running back, I think Oregon would be fine. They're, they will be, they will have the talent. They will have the depth that will be needed to, to have a good season Um, and I'm curious though, just who's the number one back. Is it going to be, if Broussard does come to Oregon, I think some people kind of expect that to happen. Let's just say he does. Is it Broussard or is it Cardwell? Um, does dollars, you know, he had a high expectations when he was here before he got hurt. Is when healthy, is he the number one guy or does a freshman show up and take the job? I think that's probably going to be one of the more interesting position groups going into spring football.
2: Yeah, there's going to be uncertainty, right? And again, that's what we haven't had to talk about for like three years. We've known going into spring and fall who the top running backs will be. And that's no longer the case. I think that's pretty exciting to a certain degree in terms of the new blood part I got to earlier. I think that's also a little bit scary. I think that the, the ceiling for this group seems pretty high. Um, by the way, I think if we talk about Paul maybe going to Georgia, if he ends up at Oregon, to me that, I mean, I'm really high on this kid. I mean, those listening who haven't, go watch Andrew Paul's high school tape his senior year. It's like pretty pretty spectacular stuff. Um, I think that's a guy that if he was at Oregon, he would have a chance to be a pretty immediate contributor um, based upon what I've seen from him. But uh, regardless, yeah, no, I think I think the position group has a lot, of, a lot to be excited by. And, and to the question about whether it's Broussard or it's Cardwell, it's probably going to be a combination of both anyway. Um, I would imagine in terms of, now I don't know who's going to start games. Maybe they'll rotate a little bit. I mean, we yeah. saw Oregon with Ferdell and Dye kind of have an a 1A, one B throughout really the last two or three seasons. I mean, they kind of were that complement to each other. I wouldn't be surprised to see something kind of similar in place with the new the new staff. Um, Richard has the experience. For my money, I think Carville's probably like the higher end talent personally, and that might be something that gets some criticism considering Richard's accolades before coming to Oregon but I, I thought what Cardwell showed towards the end of the last season was pretty special and in fact I mean I know it's one game and this is wholly unfair but just to make the comparison Cardo ran for like 130 yards against Colorado and I think Russard ran for like 22 yards against Oregon in that head-to-head matchup so again totally an unfair comparison to try to draw but <laughs> I'm just going to draw it and put the data out there because it's it's sort of it works in my favor in this instance, so I'll do it, even though that's the total wrong way about going about
3: presenting information. <laughs> that is quite the comparison, going against Oregon and Colorado's defense. Um, but I, I digress. This is a—it's um, an exciting running back room. I am going to play devil's advocate a little bit and just say I'm a little frightened by it, just because there's no definitive running back. Who you can absolutely know 100 million percent that you can count on, like there has been the last three four years, would die yeah. or Verdell, um, Cardwell. I've been a big fan of um, that Colorado game was something special. You just watch his runs and he's just shaking people out of their cleats. He's blowing by guys. He's running them over. Really encapsulates exactly what you could potentially see from like a. It's gonna sound weird, but like a prime Byron Cardwell, like when he's um, when he understands the playbook, when he's like a junior or something like that, um, you see those moments. Uh, we've talked about Sean Dollar's injury problem in the last couple of years. Um, that's a huge thing. If he can't stay healthy, that automatically brings you down to three running backs if you add a prep guy. And if you add, if potentially if you add Jarek Broussard. Um, Broussard's another guy, though, who missed two years of college football because of knee injuries. Um, he's been healthy the last two, which is great. But for Oregon last year, when C.J. Verdell goes down with a season-ending injury against Stanford, um, you don't have to worry about who takes the number one load. You just know Travis is going to go right there. He's going to take that. Um, but you don't know if he can withstand the endurance and the stamina of all taking the number one reps. Well, he did. And that was not an issue ever. Um, but then you kind of questioned who was going to be the number two or number three. But Oregon had... plethora of options behind die they had Cardwell, they had trey benson they had seven mcgee to take those second running back reps if hypothetically if, if cardwell goes down if he's the number one guy you have broussard and then you have dollars and then you might have another prep running back and then maybe seven mcgee comes back as a running back um i just feel like that's not not as strong as a room as it has been the last few years, which is why it kind of circles back to me wondering why people are happy as to why Travis Dye is gone um, as a damn good player. He was, he provided just such versatility and depth and was straight line. You always knew what you were gonna get from him and his play style. Um, that might not be the case with this running back room. I still think there's a lot of excitement I'm very high on Sean Dollars. I think his talent is off the charts, but he just has to stay healthy, which at the end of the day usually is never the player's fault. It's just unlucky breaks, whatever the case may be. Um, but if he stays healthy, I think he can be a real number two back. Um, I think a three-headed monster of Cardwell, uh, if all of these guys are healthy of Cardwell, Bruce, and Dollars could be, could be yeah. something. Yeah. I think that's why you should feel some anticipation, some excitement when looking at this running back room. It's just you're relying on Dollars and Broussard who have had their own injury problems and who have had their own ups and downs and ebbs and flows of college football. And you're relying on Byron Will, who's had half a season of college football where he's been good. But he hasn't been really good or elite or anything like that, but he's been someone where you can project and be like, this guy could be really good one day. Um, and we're all hoping that he takes that next step. So I, I the very bare bottom Oregon needs to add somebody like a Jarek Broussard and they need to add a prep player just to have more depth, just to have more opportunities for them to find something that could work if things go awry.
1: Now, it's not all good news for Oregon um, because I think for the most part this weekend was a good uh, weekend for Oregon. They haven't landed a verbal commits yet, but they put themselves in strong positions for multiple um, – On the other hand, Grayson Halton, Oregon's highest rated defensive line commit in the 2022 class, who chose not to sign with Oregon after the coaching change. He he remained committed, but opened himself up to some visits. He went to Oklahoma this past weekend for an official visit. He's expected to be on campus again this weekend for Oregon uh, because of the coaching change rule the NCAA allows recruits if if you did take an official visit to a school and your head coach leaves that school you can take another one to meet the new staff Um, he's expected to be on campus but there has now been a crystal ball cast for Oklahoma there's some growing concern here that Halton could be flipping to Oklahoma we don't no for certain yet, but what looked like a potential solid prospect now looks like Oregon's going to have to fight for him um, to keep him in in the 2022 class. And it's a weird deal because he's Oregon's highest-rated commit. He's super talented. I, I think he's going to be a good football player at Oregon. But they already have two other verbal commitments along the defensive line that kind of play the similar positions as Halton. Um, they have eight guys on campus in 2022 that will be freshmen or sophomores, uh, and spots are limited, and you've got a lot of other needs out there. Um, And so it's a case where you'd love to have your highest-rated defensive lineman in the group, but I guess if you're going to lose somebody, this is maybe the position to lose it, but unfortunately, it's your highest-rated guy. It's a catch-22 situation here.
2: I've been really excited and high on Halton the whole way. Um, he's somebody who I think projects to, to potentially play a little of the edge as well. I think there's some positional versatility there, which is what I get excited about because I don't I don't think that that really exists with Mel's or, or Roberts. Yes. Those guys are like strictly interior. I think I think Halton could probably play edge primarily too. Um, good player. Really good young player. A guy I was pretty excited to, again, to watch at Oregon. Um, I, I guess what we'll see now is is a little bit of the recruit. I mean, I think it's notable, by the way. Oklahoma and Oregon. Could this be kind of the head-to-head recruiting battles for a lot of the top front seven players on the West Coast going forward? I bring that up because obviously Oregon's staff with with Lanning and, and the way they're constructed as a defensive first staff. And Oklahoma, now with Brett Venables, same kind of thing. Um, you look at USC, that is, a, that is a program built around offense. And you've seen the way that, I mean, the additions they've made this offseason in the portal have told you the whole story. They've basically gone around the conference and said, you're the best player available at this school in the conference. You're the best player available here. We're going to come grab you. We're going to take top running backs from Stanford and Oregon, top receivers from Colorado and, and whatnot. I mean, they've been very active on that side of the ball, but not as much on defense. And I kind of think it, my growing suspicion is, this could be a lot of Oregon, Oklahoma head head battles for top defensive guys um, over the next couple of years, and I'm all for that. I think that's going to be kind of an interesting, maybe recruiting um, rivalry that develops a little bit more here. Um, Oregon has, again, this is where it's kind of interesting because you're talking about kind of the strength of Oregon's staff in theory is is recruiting guys kind of like this, with having Tosh Lupoy on the staff, with having Dan Lanning on the staff, with the connections to the West Coast that. You know, that Tosh presents with um, you know, San Diego in particular being a hotbed recently for Oregon, you'd think Oregon would, been, would be in a really good spot for a recruit like this. So the fact that Oklahoma has some momentum is a little bit interesting here and maybe a little concerning. I also think it sets up the potential for if they can get him on campus and, he, you know, he stays st- strong in terms of making that visit. And that they can retain him that's going to speak pretty loudly again towards kind of this recruiting program and and the staff they have i won't say it's going to be a huge concern if they lose him but me it's a little bit of a concern a little bit i mean this is a highly regarded player at a position i know i know oregon does have depth at d-line but we've talked in the past about a kind of a need to continue to build out this group and you don't get four-star caliber defensive linemen. Like Halton on the West Coast, all that often. This is one of the top guys out West on the D line. You just kind of hate to see him, to see him leave, especially when he's been committed and such a big part of the class for for so long. So this would be a pretty big loss if it if it does go that direction.
3: Yeah, 100 oh, <clears> percent. <throat> uh, I really like Halton's tape. I feel like he's kind of a um, a Brandon Dorliss type body who could who could turn into somebody who could either be an edge or an interior guy. Um, I think he's somebody that if you're Oregon, you've got to try your your damnedest to keep him. Um, and I do like that comparison, Eric, of, of the Oregon versus Oklahoma battles for defensive players on the West coast for the next couple of years. Um, Clemson has had no problems in the last few years going on to the West coast and getting mostly offensive players. But, um, I don't think Brett Venables at Oklahoma, former Clemson defensive coordinator for those that don't know, um, yeah. I think he's going to have no problem going to California or coming into Washington or or anywhere on the West Coast, Arizona, eh, West Coast-ish. I don't feel like he's going to have a problem with that, going after elite defensive guys. Um, And if you're Oklahoma, that's just such a a wild swing from where you have been the last decade, I would say, in terms of your team overall philosophy of going with a defensive-minded guy. So it's going to be kind of fun to see that. Same with Oregon, um, USC going over to Lincoln Riley and going offense to offense, to offense, to offense makes a lot of sense. Um, but this is a—I I still think Grayson Halton is, is somebody who's impactful on this class, who could be an impactful player, maybe not from year one because of the defensive line that Oregon has established this year, um, unless they moved him to edge, which could have been a possibility, but we may not know, um this is somebody who I think could make a, a, a significant impact. Um, you don't see four star rated defensive linemen uh, often on the West coast, uh, especially from San Diego, and that Southern California, um, area of the country. Um, I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that the Lanning and, and loop boy, that defensive staff could be okay with this cause they have other plans. Um, that I don't know, but this does seem like a player who landing in that defensive staff should be able to keep or should be able to have potentially pursued had he been committed somewhere else and flip him to Oregon. Um, so it's a little bit surprising. Uh, there's still time, but it's certainly not ideal what this late in the cycle when a, when a commit to your school picks up steam with another school. Um, so we'll see where that
1: leads us oregon's recruiting class right now with halton involved uh, sits with uh, a ranking of 52 um they've got the seventh best recruiting class in the country that does not factor in the transfers that they've added which include three christian gonzalez who's a four-star transfer sam tiamani who is a three-star transfer and bo nix a former five-star that's now rated as a three-star transfer but like we noted earlier on the show, they could add a couple more guys into this mix um, from both transfer and high school. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. We've got one more recruiting weekend left. Um, multiple five-star players in the 2023 class will be on campus for that weekend's visit. Um, Oregon is also expected to be bringing in all of its official commits and all of its signees, the guys that signed with Oregon uh, in the early period, um, they will be also taking up an official visit to Oregon in part because of that rule that the NCAA, with a coaching change, players can get one more visit. Um, and then we should also note Oregon's waiting on the status of Jahlil Florence, um, a one-time verbal commit. He's down to USC in Oregon. He announced that this past Sunday. And... Let's end it with this question. Um, Hold on, Matt. Your guys' thoughts on just the ceiling of this class and where they were at one point, which I think was top five in the country, right around there. Obviously, they're not going to get to that level again because of just the the lack of options to to add to this class. But I I think Oregon and Dan Lanning best-case scenario can – can walk away with multiple verbal commitments and and signees in the next two or three weeks. And we look at this recruiting class that's in the fifties and say, I don't know where they're gonna land, but you look at it and say, they've added multiple impact pieces. It's a really good recruiting class. It's a good bounce back from a coaching change midway through the cycle. And Oregon continues to push uh, talent into the program.
3: Jared, go ahead, you have breaking news. Yeah, CJ Verdell is remaining in the twenty
2: twenty two NFL Draft. Okay, well, there, we there, there answers the question that we kind of alluded to, probably being the case earlier. Um, don't think that really changes much of the discussion we had earlier because I think we were all kind of speaking with the expectation this would be what would happen. Um, boy, again, running back room, complete turnover. It takes basically. another hit. Yeah. yeah, that's and it's not it's not a stunner. I think most people kind of this is what was happening, but still. That's very impacted for the 2022 season. Oregon now really will have to kind of start. I want to say from nothing because there are players in the roster like we talked about, but it's a totally new group, new look, new look offense in 2022. New, new quarterback, new coaching staff, new offense, new running backs. Really, the only continuity returning is at offensive line and a little bit at receiver. I guess tight end too, but I mean, yes. a lot of new look on offense. Um, yeah which is fun i like that Do, idea you just want to wrap it up with the answering matt's question though because i don't know how much we want to get into the verdell thing yeah breaking it down yeah uh, because i think we kind of feel pretty comfortable with that to the question about the ceiling of this class matt um i don't think this is fair at all to like and i know you you you, you were saying it this way too but just to the listeners i don't think you should be expecting like oh oregon's gonna land a top 15 recruiting class with dan landing and blah, blah 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 it would be really nice. It would be very, very impressive if Oregon winds up signing four or five more additional blue chip caliber recruits to get there. But more than likely, they won't. And more than likely, I think you just feel happy that kind of positions of need are addressed across the board. Because there still are some we talked about on the previous show, so I won't belabor it. But to me, it's like, and whether it be prep or or transfer portal, it's just, let's get through, I guess, February second, right? and a little bit after that with the portal guys, but let's get to a point where you feel like there aren't any glaring holes on the on the roster. Because right now there still are some. Um, and that's what you want to get accomplished here now in this 2022 class over the next week or two. Uh, not week or two, next eight or nine days. Um, you're really kind of reaching the stretch run of this 2022 signing class. So finish strong, address some positions of need. And then if you can't address those via prep, that's where you use the portal, and I think we've established already running back needs to be addressed in the portal. I think you still need some more receivers, I think another defensive back. Um, but to me, that's how I'm going to measure success, and I hope that's how those listening will as well, in, in kind of how this staff wraps it up. Don't get lost in recruiting rankings and, oh, Dan Lanning yeah. only turned in the 34th best recruiting class in the country, because that's not the, how we're measuring it. He did this all last kind of in the 11th hour, 12th hour kind of stuff. Focus instead on, do they address the positions of need? Because there are still positions that need to be addressed.
3: Yeah, it's, it, to reiterate your sentiment, Eric, it's completely unfair to really judge how Lanning is going to finish this class compared to where you know, Cristobal had the class originally. Um, he really has done this all in like the 11th hour, the 12th hour. Um, basically, since uh, the beginning of January, he's been able to be a full-time head coach for the Ducks. Um, and really devote every single one of his waking hours to recruiting and, uh, you know, making sure players are happy on campus and off campus. Um, and so for him to, to land anybody um, is pretty impressive for him to still be in contention to land, you know, higher profile four star recruits um, to still have a shot at Leo Florence, to still have a shot at all these other players um, who are signing just around the corner is impressive. And there's still the opportunity to keep a couple scholarship spots available for when spring football rolls around and people aren't happy at their respective programs and enter the transfer portal again, or for the first time. Um, So there's still opportunities for him to, you know, to strengthen this class. Um, I don't have a number that I would set it at um, in terms of what I would expect, um, because I just don't feel like there's enough there's probably just not, not enough players to really understand where this could be. Um, their scholarship numbers are pretty tight as we, as we speak. Um, but for, for landing, it's like Eric said, it's just addressing needs. It's just figuring out where they can um, put those remaining scholarship counts into the positions that they need to get um, and make sure they hammer those home before you know, before spring football starts so they can get everybody on campus in time get them in the strength program and all that and uh, try to try to address what you can um, it's still really short notice for him um and but you see it on, on on twitter social media like i've said before on this podcast um just how much effort and time and um that this coaching staff is putting in on the recruiting trail you know I'm traveling from state to state uh visiting high schools visiting players coaches all the things in the last couple of weeks that they're you know, trying to get ahead of the missed time.
1: We should note real quick um, with Verdell now leaving that officially gives Oregon two scholarship running backs and they have 69 total scholarship players on roster going into 2022, which does not factor in yet any of the guys that they've signed um, out of high school. They have to enroll first before we'll actually count them. But let's just say, for prosperity's sake, they all do. Oregon has five scholarships remaining. Um, they have they have eleven commits and eleven signees total between two groups. Uh, they have eighty guys, 80, eighty of their eighty-five scholarships accounted for. So, if you're wondering how much room they have left, they have five spots. Um, and I can, I think, all three of us could quickly name off more than five guys that would make sense for Oregon to add here in the next couple weeks until uh, we talk to you again on this podcast. Thank you for listening to the odds and audibles podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace.
0: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.